Blog Talk Radio. Most people never think about the body unless something goes wrong with it. This seems to be especially common with the hand and a certain digit of the hand, the thumb. What could possibly go wrong? But ask anybody who has injured their thumb and prepare for a litany of all the things that it does for you. It gives you a power grip, the ability to open jars, grasp doorknobs, and of course, shake hands. And if it's not working properly, it can lead to a world of problems. Hello, and welcome to RSI Help Radio, the show that is dedicated to bringing you the latest news and information about repetitive strain injury. Once again, we're going to hear from Dr. Robert Markison, an esteemed private practice hand surgeon and clinical professor of surgery at the University of California, San Francisco. Dr. Markison has nearly 40 years of experience in the surgical and non-surgical management of hand and upper extremity repetitive strain injuries. So welcome, Dr. Markison. Thanks very much. Uh, really a joy to be with you, and I'm, I'm glad you're shining the light for year after year on, on these matters. They do matter greatly because uh, you're trying to preserve and extend the work and play reach of the brain-hand linkage. So kudos to you, Deborah Quilter. <laughs> well, thank you. So let's talk about the normal function of the thumb. I mean, when you're using it, it helps you grasp things, and when it's used normally, how does it work? Well, it should work beautifully. The opposable thumb, obviously, final form about 45 to 50,000 years ago within the 200,000-year human biography. And what happened was it evolved into a fully opposable digit that has nine poles or vectors of force that include tendons coming from forearm and crossing wrist or the mound of muscle you see as you look at your palm. And the way it should work is through a full circumduction, a full wide big circle as you move your own thumb as we speak, and should be able to roll over and oppose the digit pads, touch the tip of the thumb to the base of the little finger and other digits, and be used for manipulative things and pinch and grip and grasp as needed. But keyword, never abuse the thumb because it's the most broadly represented body part on opposite hemisphere of brain, the sensory motor strip. So, so in, speaking in of abusing the thumb, let's look at the design of things like your cell phone. I see people texting with their thumb every day, and I want to go over to them and tap their shoulder and say, please don't do that. Can you talk about why texting or um, doing that downward action of the thumb that you would do on a space bar, for instance, um, could be so damaging? Yeah, you start with the transfer or force couple or load amplification from thumb tip up to its most vulnerable point, which is where the thumb joins the body of the hand, called the carpometacarpal joint. There's a 10 to 12 X force. Is that the base of the thumb? If I'm, if it's, is it near the exactly wrist? Exactly right. Yeah. It's, it's right at the wrist, the, the yeah. outer thumb side of the wrist, and it's called the basal, B-A-S-A-L, okay. joint. That's vulnerable, especially in aging people who must stay in the workforce for who knows how long. But point is, as you roll over your thumb into pronation, meaning like lying prone, and you text with one or both thumbs, then you're, first of all, uh, getting the thumb out of alignment. It's improper alignment to do that. 
and you're also transferring 10 to 12 times the force. So if you put an ounce of force at the thumb tip on the face of a mobile device, that's 10 to 12 ounces, which sounds trivial. And yet, if you amplify and aggravate, aggregate that, then you've got hundreds of pounds running through a vulnerable joint that doesn't want to be out of alignment. Alignment of that thumb joint and work and play matters greatly. So if you're up and down on a space bar or clicking side buttons on a, on a mouse too much and or worse yet, thumb texting, you're going to run too much force through the thumb and may or may not have trouble. Honestly, not everybody will have trouble with this, but certain people are prone to it by virtue of usually matrilineal history of osteoarthritis or early wear and tear and other things. Uh, but it's, it's, it just does rattle my bones a bit to see people thumb texting. It's unnecessary yes. and it can be harmful. So when you make a fist with the thumb out, you know, you're curling your fingers in towards your, uh, the base of your palm and the thumb right. just sort of comes right across. That's right. a normal movement of a thumb. That's sort of a power grip, right? Well, that's, so, yeah, that's where we came from, the simian, S-I-M-I-A, and the, the, the apes, the monkeys, and so on, have a simian movement, a sweep across the palm, and so they're not rolling the thumb over because they don't have quite the opposability that we have in our thumbs. Yeah, so that's kind of a normal movement that won't get you into too much trouble. It's all this, you know, and I think also probably swiping. Um, for instance, a Kindle, I have a friend who really had a lot of problems with that that movement as well. And also the repetitive action of constantly overusing the basal thumb joint I think could be a problem for a lot of people. But this leads to the next question I had for you, which was Corvain's disease. Can you talk a little bit about the tendon that joins? Um, it's right on the thumb side of the wrist. You can actually, um, if you run your finger across it, I think you're right above that um, that tendon. And can you talk a little bit about Corvain's disease and what happens when people get that? Yeah, Fritz de Quervain, his year is 1860 to 1940, a family of musical prodigies in Switzerland. He was observing people milking animals, goats and, and sheep and, and cows, noticing that the back-and-forth, back-and-forth motion of combined thumb-intensive grip and wrist deviation to either side would inflame and swell the tendons that go through the first of six tunnels or compartments on the wrist. And so de Quervain's stenosing, meaning tight, tenosynovitis, inflammation of tendons and their synovial sheaths uh, with no place to go in a fiber bone tunnel uh, gets inflamed and gets goes from bad to worse. The two tendons are the thumb extensor pollicis brevis that straightens you out at the knuckle joint of the thumb, and the other is the abductor pollicis longus, which brings your thumb away from the body of the wrist as you spread your thumb index web space. And so once those get inflamed, it can go from bad to worse, and 15 to 25 percent of wrists have an anatomical variation called septation, where you have two tunnels within that tunnel on the thumb side of the wrist. And uh, very often you can get, get rid of this with rest, proper use, maybe a little bit of hand therapy, self-hand therapy, and sometimes a little cortisone injection or two. Fifteen percent of pregnant women in the second and third trimesters will report some decor veins, but it usually goes away 90% of the time postpartum unless they're nursing improperly and they have a thumb intensive grip on the baby's head as they nurse. 
So well, to go back to this it's improper it's, posture, that's right. the the movement that you're talking about, the deviation would be like a hammer. So you're you're flicking your wrist instead of keeping the wrist straight, you would let it go down as in a hammering motion, right? In a hammering motion or frequently uh, sweeping the thumb too far towards the little finger side of the wrist and or spreading too far. So my concert pianists are going for their ninth or 10th or 11th interval uh-huh. on the piano keyboard, and they, they are stressing those and will come in with de Quervain's. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's getting out of the normal range. Getting out of the normal range. I mean, you have to live within limits, so to speak, and it doesn't mean that you stay at home, sit on your thumbs, but it does mean that you, you want to be careful and understand a little bit more about form, function, fit, and of avoidance of failure. So what are some of the other ways um, that the thumb can be injured? Thumb can be injured uh, by tight jewelry and external compression, which is acting externally, as would the normally present fibrous and bony constraints of tendons. So you never want to wear a tight sleeve or tight wow. jewelry or tight tight anything anywhere, really, on the upper limbs, because you'll pay for that. But other things that can injure it uh, include cold work environments, and the workhouses at the turn into the 20th century were cold places. And if you're cold exposed and or dehydrated and or under nervous tension, which chills out the hand, then that's going to injure the thumb. So beyond postures and cycles of use, we have environmental exposure within and without. And cool-handed folk are prone to strain, and strain will get worse and linger. So it's really about blood flow per unit tissue as much as in the brain or the heart. The hand suffers dearly if you chill out. So when you're stressed, the blood is withdrawn from the extremities, the hand and the feet in order to protect the vital organs, as I understand it. And That's true. The that fight, or, fight or flight response was never fight because you wouldn't try and punch out a saber-toothed tiger. You'd get all the blood out of the upper limbs, go to the brain uh-huh. and heart and lungs and bypass intestines, go to large muscles in the lower limbs, and physically flee danger with ice-cold hands that we're not fighting Interesting. Hands. Interesting. Right. So, but we so can't we're flee. wired in that way. <laughs> we're wired. That's how we're wired. That's so interesting, so interesting. And also this uh, tight jewelry. I mean, wearing a tight bracelet or a tight watch, a tight watch band. Absolutely. um, That doesn't sound like a good idea. It's a bad idea on two counts. One, it creates physical tightness, entrapment, physical uh, frictional drag on moving parts. Uh, It can uh, disturb nerve signals. Worse yet, you have inflow circulation, arterial and outflow, venous and lymphatic drainage. Inflow will continue at 30 millimeters mercury, but outflow at 5 millimeters mercury will be stopped. So you have more inflow than outflow, meaning swollen structures. And on a micro scale, that can be tendons, nerves, and you name it, all to bad effect. Is that one of the reasons why wrist splints aren't such a great idea for carpal tunnel syndrome? Well, wrist splints at night can help you if you go fetal and hyperflex your wrists and might have body mm-hmm. pressure on the on the wrist and nerve and so on. But when you're out and about and when you're at work, it's a bad idea on two counts. One, the potential for blocking outflow circulation, meaning a vicious cycle of swelling, as we were discussing. But secondly, using unsplinted members, overusing them. So now you've, you've splinted the wrist, which is the key joint of the hand that positions all digits for action 
Uh, and as soon as you take away wrist motion and the ability to properly position and make use of a best natural pulls on the on the digits, then you're going to overuse elbow, overuse shoulder, get odd postured here and there, and all for the sake of trying to quiet down something at the wrist with a splint during daytime. Yes, and you know while we're on the topic of these two very common diseases, um, decor veins and carpal tunnel syndrome. Maybe you can explain to our listeners um, why it's it, it can be so dangerous to go to a doctor and um, the doctor isn't really well-versed in repetitive strain injuries because I heard so many stories about people who had gone in and they had a carpal tunnel surgery when, in fact, the problem was Vein's disease which is on a totally different um, part of the wrist. But the doctor would say something to the effect of, well, there was nothing else we could do. I mean, it doesn't make sense to me that you would do an unnecessary surgery because there was nothing else to do. But um, why would doctors confuse Decorvain's disease or and carpal tunnel syndrome? Is it they don't know that... The difference? Well, there's, okay, there's a knowledge gap starting with you and me in fifth grade and not learning about brain-hand linkage and proper use in fifth grade because we're learning about other stuff that may not be as relevant to the workplace. But then fast forward to people who've gone through med school, 200-plus American med schools, spending four to eight hours on the upper limb instead of, you know, 40 or 100 hours on the heart or brain. And I understand those are important central organs, but... Nobody comes out of med school knowing much about the hand form and function, and beyond that, they don't study failure by way of strain injury. And then you go to the average surgical residency, orthopedics, plastics, general, and so on. They don't learn about repetitive strain injury very much there. And then you've got only about 3,000 board-certified hand surgeons who've continuously kept up American Board of Surgery or Plastic Surgery or Orthopedic Surgery certified certification in hand between U.S. and Canada, okay, and so if you're not a past and currently board-certified hand surgeon, you may, you may miss things. You're well-intended, you care, everything that tingles may be carpal tunnel. You forget to look at the neck. You forget to look at all the other regions that are prone to wear that might contribute or cause it. And so you don't have the global view. And then beyond that, you may not keep up with internal medicine, endocrinology, rheumatology sufficiently to understand the metabolic and endocrine environment in which all tissues live. So that's the failure to look at all possibilities, including neck problems shooting down into the hand, masquerading as carpal tunnel. Other things, Good point. other conditions that could masquerade as repetitive strain, vitamin D deficiency, uric acid, gout, those kinds of things. So it's the failure to connect the logically connectable domains of medicine combined with failure or knowledge gap deficiency in really understanding the meat and potatoes between neck and fingertips and tools and work. So this is a huge area that's untaught in childhood, untaught in medical school. And then you have populations that are single-hand dominant that have never properly cultivated lifelong ambidexterity to rely equally on both hands for fine work and forceful work. And so Mm -hmm. we're a society that's dismissed the hand as the menial slave of blue-collar work and therefore not recognized as worthy, but now everybody's a manual worker because of computers starting in the 1980s. So 30-plus years later, we're trying to pick up the pieces amid a massive knowledge gap. 
So you just touched on something, Dr. Markson, that um, people ask me about. I'd like to talk a little bit about arthritis because it's not classified as repetitive strain injury exactly, but it can certainly interact um, if you do have RSI. And so I'd like you to talk a little bit about that aspect, you know, the the interplay between, for instance, arthritis of the thumb and other things that are more repetitive. Right, it's a question of whether work and repetitive motion can accelerate pre-existing, even ancestral, usually matrilineal osteoarthritis and or rheumatoid arthritis. And there are degrees of autoimmunity. Rheumatoid arthritis is an autoimmune process where uh, you have the bad luck of attacking your own joints, and that's autoimmunity. Osteoarthritis tends more to be hereditary, although they're looking more at autoimmunity as well. There are patterns of osteoarthritis, largely females who have combined knees and thumbs, for example, and radiologists recognize and report certain patterns of arthritis development and identical twins in Sweden, one of whom works all day and the other never worked, and same degree of arthritis, osteoarthritis. And so uh, the interaction can be that you've got an aggravated joint that's just a pre-existing or ancestral genomically derived condition where you're just pushing it too hard. And so the vulnerable thumb joint, for example, you're just pushing too hard on it and your arthritis flares up. You may or may not need specialty attention, cortisone injection, with or without thumb joint reconstruction. And so the question is whether work can aggravate arthritis, not necessarily cause it, because in workers' comp California nationwide, uh, it's always an issue of causation. What caused the trouble and did work aggravate it? If so, to what extent? And what's current future medical care need? And so I'm always on that line of what would happen if you never worked? What happened because you worked? Did work mm-hmm. cause a problem? And so work can aggravate arthritis, but the, the hand societies of the world have been somewhat grudging about recognizing that. And there are certain countries that deny that repetitive strain Exists, so that means the patient's left to his or her own devices. So we don't know that work, but what what about improper usage of the thumb? Could that lead to arthritis? It can, you know, slamming it, can, it in a Kindle or a cell phone or something like that. It can cause inflammation. The question is whether that goes on to arthritis. I don't want to be too myopically attached to the idea of anything you do in a field of gravity could cause strain. But mm-hmm. it it can cause, let's just say, inflammation. And again, I, okay. I'm equally interested in the metabolic and endocrine nature of inflammation as I am in the mechanics of the hand and you know, it's, you know, in the way it may be strained. So everything's on the table. With repetitive strain injury, everything is on the table, must be thoughtfully considered, thoughtfully considered without doing a ton of MRIs or drawing all the blood out for testing? Well, this is a twofold question. So as we get older, things can happen. So the question is, how can we um, protect our thumbs going forward in life? Because I know that as you get older, sometimes people don't take the time to warm up and create synovial fluid which is protective of certain things. Um, and 
you know, I'm just wondering if there's things that we can do to decrease. I mean, we we have to live, we have to work, we use our hands for everything. But how can we do this well? Right. So you're you're asking how to get work done productively, put bread on your table without being a slacker, and yet not void your warranties by excessive and proper use. Yes. And so, so I get get back to general things in addition to proper use of the thumb. But look at your hand for a moment and let the thumb hang by its natural web of muscle between index and thumb, uh, long bones, metacarpals. When it's hanging that way, you'll notice that the plane of, and movement of the thumb is, as you described earlier kind of crosswise where the fingers are moving uh, towards the wrist and the thumb's moving towards the little finger. That's a natural position of use. So if you re-engineered the whole world of work and play, you'd want the hand in sort of that position, knowing that whenever the thumb is flat in the plane of the hand, meaning flat-handed with palm up as downward dog, headstand, plank, yoga positions that are not, frankly, good for you, and or Mm -hmm. doing push-ups in a gym with flat hands, Avoiding those things really does matter. Avoiding unnecessarily forceful use of the thumb in and out of work matters greatly. Having the right tools in the kitchen so it's ergonomically set up. You don't need to prove yourself by opening a jar if you've got a jar opener. These kinds mm-hmm. of things just to put food on your table. But beyond that, keeping your hands warm at all times and even learning biofeedback if necessary to self or autogenically warm your hands because synovial fluid, as you say, is actually nutrient and lubricating, so tendons stay alive based on the segmental blood supply plus the the nutrient supply of synovial fluid and joints and tendons move because joint fluid is there, but if the hand is cold, then that means you're moving through jello, you're an item on a table in aspic as opposed to nice warm hands with a good rush of synovial fluid, inflow, outflow, circulation, so on. So a fit and worthy environment of the hand matters in all senses. If you keep your vitamin D in the ideal range, hydroxy vitamin D at 40 to 80 nanograms per ml, you've got a fighting chance. If you drop below 40, you have a chance of significant musculoskeletal, neurological, and other systems failures. If your uric acid is below 5.0 as a woman and below 6.0 as a man, that helps to avoid inflammation because Hippocrates, the greatest of all, called gout the greatest masquerader. Masquerading is everything. So I have hyperuricemia among people with strain. We control uric acid. Their strain gets better or goes away. I have D-deficient people. As 50 to 70% of Americans are now D-deficient, blood measurably so, 25% of whom have moderate to severe deficiency. Those are simply correctable matters. All my patients eating wheat grow out of it because a gluten-free diet is probably the only way to go given the, the merciless hybridization of wheat forward from 1961 through the present, 14 chromosomes in wheat in 1961, now 44. You and I have 46 chromosomes. So that means that wheat is an enemy for brain, for body, and just forget it. Grow out of the perfect pasta and artisanal sourdough. If you bypass all grains, you'll probably be better. We're talking about a, a paleo diet where you're not chewing on a side of beef all day, proper <coughs> probiotics, proper protein source, and uh, you know proper vitamins, plenty of fresh produce, and the quicker you grow out of wheat, the better, longer, stronger you live. And then uh, the quicker you grow out of all grains, so much the better. And so the warm-handed person who is not grazing on grain, um, who uses thumb, fingers, upper limb, brain in a, in a proper way, starts to win. But then the next cut, obviously, if you're verbally fluent, is to 
do voice recognition uh, as much as possible on mobile devices and on the computer. And verbal yes. fluency is going away as kids look at each other and say, you know, you know, it's like, it's like, it's like, that said, you know, you know. And so the failure to cultivate articulate speech is a failure to preserve the upper limbs because you understand that if you can speak clearly in sentences, paragraphs, books, anthologies, and have archival writing and get interviewed by somebody 20 years older who loves complete diagrammable sentences, then you're probably going to do better in life in general. Those who fail are the ones who are using their hands where their voice would work much better. Very interesting point. Now, I have a question um, that someone asked me, and this is, it might be controversial, I don't know. Um, They have arthritis, and they asked if medical marijuana would be useful for that. And I'm just wondering if you have an opinion one way or the other. Well, okay, I'm not a marijuana prohibitionist. I'm not an anything alcohol, marijuana, other drugs prohibitionist, but I haven't seen enough evidence-based medical literature with randomized prospective long-term controlled studies to prove that marijuana pain control would be worth the loss of memory and loss of ambition. And so the youth that I see that are in a you know legalized marijuana setting and so on boast that they can control pain with marijuana, and mm-hmm. that's fine. They've forgotten their house keys and, and don't drive so <laughs> safely. And that's okay. But I, yeah, you know, well. I, I just have to say, without being an old fogey, just a fossilized <laughs> man, I, I'd say don't don't do that. I mean, look at everything else, including fine combing, endocrinology, metabolism, and and proper use and voice recognition, all this stuff, before you do that. So I frankly don't recommend it. There may be somebody <laughs> to prove me wrong tomorrow. Well, um, I'm laughing because. That was kind of what my feeling would be is like, well, I don't know. I just, uh, I don't think I would do that um, for all the reasons that you mentioned, you know, plus I like my brain cells. I want, I want to keep them as many as I have for as long as I possibly can. I'm Um, with you entirely. The body is, body is three trillion cells, 86 billion in the brain. The brain cells knitted together by one plus trillion synapses any of that goes wrong and you're alone and you don't have a trust fund to keep you afloat, then beware. So I'm I'm looking at people who are advised not to draw Social Security before age 70, and so they're going to work past 70, and the question is, can they function independently without a nursing home? And for me, it's brain-body through a lifetime from cradle to grave and proper preservation of everything that that entails. Yeah, and it's a really serious question, and it's a really good point because nobody's planning on retiring nowadays. I mean, unless you're, you know, one of the people who's done very well, or and even people who've done very well, a lot of times don't want to because you get you get sort of sidelined. Um, you're not engaged in the world, and you're not contributing. So I think re- retirement isn't uh, for the new generation what it was for the old. But anyway, we are almost out of time, and before we go, I want to give you a big thank you for sharing your wisdom with us and also to let people know where they can find you. I know you have a website. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the website, I and I have to freshen it up, and again, I'm a bit remiss in this, but it, it's descriptive and gives contact information, www.marcusonmd, M-A-R-K-I-S-O-N-M-D, all one 
lowercase textstrength.com. And uh, always, always glad to help. I mean, doctor in three languages, medieval Latin, Middle English, and medieval French means teacher. So any doctor who's not there to teach all day on either side of the white coat may be missing more than half of the fun. Well, and it's it's just so interesting. And I think that people need to know how their body works in order to take care of it. I mean, a lot of times we get um, directions, but we don't get the why. To explain, well, I, I, I don't. I don't assume to know the why, but I. But I'm constantly searching. Well, and I, you did. You did explain why we shouldn't be wearing tight wristbands. Right. You explained how that interfered with um, the fluid flow. So right. that kind of thing really motivates me. And um, you know, I just can't thank you enough for your time and expertise. And I'm looking forward to speaking with you next time about nerves. So oh, terrific. Really great. Okay, we'll get a, I'll get up my nerve for that one. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, thank you for coming on the show. All right. And thank Bless everybody you. for listening to RSI Help Radio. And okay. you can uh, follow the show by clicking on the red button on the show page so you will be notified of future episodes. Until next time, this is Deborah Quilter signing off from RSI Help Radio. Bye. <laughs>